Hi, this is John Mulder, Executive Director of the Trillium Institute, along with Jason Beckrow, welcoming you to Palliative Matters. We are palliative doctors who treat patients and families who are dealing with difficult medical circumstances, and we'd like to share what we've learned along the journey. How are you doing today, Jay? I'm doing great, John. How are you today? I'm fine. It's a, it's a great day, you know, breathing well, a little bit of rain kind of nourishes the soil. Life is good. Life is great. Life is great. John, recently you told me a story about a patient that you cared for that passed away about five months or ago or so and the relationship you formed with the spouse as well and the spouse's health has been fluctuating i was wondering today could you kind of maybe share with our audience uh, what you shared with me which i think really speaks to the value of our hospice interdisciplinary team the concepts of grief and bereavement care yeah i think that it emphasizes actually a, a number of points that are important within the work we do in palliative, in hospice, and in post-hospice and post-palliative, the work that we do in bereavement and how grief influences someone's health and someone's journey. So this was a circumstance in which I'd known this couple for a long time. They had been married for a long time. Both had medical ailments that had troubled them through the course of the year, occasional hospitalizations and but generally, they did well together, and they supported each other, and they encouraged each other, and they cared for each other. In fact, it sort of reminded me of my uh, in-laws many years ago when they were getting on an age and having some issues, and we had broached the topic of uh, assisted living for them. And they sort of poo-pooed that idea, saying to us, we're already in assisted living. I assist her, and she assists me. Fair enough. Yeah. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. So, and you know what? They were right. They were right. And, and that was the circumstance in this particular situation as well. They had achieved a level of homeostasis mm -hmm. that really worked well for them. Really, truly symbiotic relationship. Yeah, absolutely. As he got sicker, the care that she was provided escalated, and she did well with that as well. But he took a turn and became terminally ill. Hospice came in, provided resources and care for them, and he died, as expected. Mm -hmm. Everybody expected that. What was interesting was how that influenced her life in so many dimensions, and was reflective of something that I've seen over and over again. We expect people that have been married a long time to have a significant amount of grief as well they should when you've had that sort of a, a meaningful relationship and you've had this deep and abiding love for each other, that's gonna leave a huge hole that's never going to get filled in. But I think one of the things we sometimes forget is that in addition to the unconditional love that they have for each other, they have very specific tangible roles in each other's lives that gives them purpose and gives them, there's a task orientation. It is one of the ways that they identify mm -hmm. who they are out of love. They're providing these services and these resources. A lot of energy, a lot of time goes into providing care for someone who is, who is sick and who is dying. And then they die. And then in addition to the grief, how do these remaining spouses then how are they able to achieve a sense of worth and value 
when so much of their identity and their sense of worth was tied up in the work they did to support their spouse who was no longer there. It's kind of that universal question, what is my purpose prior to the spouse passing away? Purpose was very clear. Mm -hmm. And now that is gone. On the one hand, there's almost that sense of relief. But now what do I do with my time? And it sounds like the, sp the wife that you're mentioning, that has been uh, quite a challenge for her. It has been. And I think it's even broader than that. You, know, you and I have had uh, topics about kind of what's next in life. And mm -hmm. you're nowhere as close to retiring. I can't imagine the concept of retirement, but I'm at an age where people are saying, aren't you going to retire? Like they want to get rid of me. But, um, and perhaps more so with men than with women, we identify our sense of worth by what we do. Sure. And so when we no longer can do what we're doing, how do we identify that? And I've seen that in, in, in people before when they do retire. And again, being a physician and knowing physicians that have retired, in many circumstances, there is a sense of, I, I've wrapped up my entire life in being a doctor, and now I'm not a doctor. How do I define who I am and what I do in life now? And I think that that becomes even more profound when your sense of worth, when your task orientation has been to care for someone you love and they're no longer there. Sure. Jen, I'm really glad that you've brought up the, the concept because we're, we're again talking about the roles that we play, which fluctuate throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. And what do we do when they change? Sometimes planned thinking, uh, for those of you listening in right now, it's uh, late spring, it's graduation time, and parents whose children may be leaving the nest, those purposes are changing, but that's planned and expected. Here you have a spouse for probably over 60 years, and the death of a spouse feeling so complete, and uh, again, redefining the sense of purpose. But maybe again, that gives us an opportunity to talk about the care we aim to provide and the beauty of our interdisciplinary teams in helping people redefine those roles. Because although one role or one purpose can end, it can be redefined. And hopefully that's what we can find. And again, I'm very curious to know how your remaining spouse is doing because it sounds like there have been some challenges. It's not dissimilar to things that I've seen in the past in which they struggle. They are trying to find a way to fill this void. So yeah, there, there are some struggles in terms of just both uh, emotionally, but practically, how do we live life when I'm used to doing ABC and I don't have ABC to do anymore? Mm -hmm. I don't have a reason to get up in the morning at that particular time because someone doesn't need their medicines. Someone doesn't need to be helped with the activities of daily living. Yeah. You can always feel her asking, why am I still here? And those are questions that we get all the time. Mm -hmm. Hence the importance of people on our team, such as bereavement, our chaplains and bereavement specialists. Well, absolutely. That's, that's a, a required part of the, the interdisciplinary team. If you're going to be a Medicare certified hospice, Medicare requires that you offer these services. They require them because it's an essential part of the death and dying experience. Mm -hmm. And we've talked before on these uh, on other podcasts about the difference between transactional medicine and relational medicine. And if we were just in a transactional business, 
we would provide a service, the patient would die, we're done, and we move on. The husband was your patient of record. Mm -hmm. But our team was caring for everyone who loved that patient. Right. And thus the ongoing relationship with the remaining spouse. Exactly. Yeah. And the children too. Mm -hmm. Of course. Their roles change as well. I remember when I was first, when I first became familiar with hospice services in general, it's when I was in medical school. And I met with a social worker and a chaplain and they expressed how the bereavement benefit through hospice services lasted for 13 months after the loved one passed away. I thought, well, that was interesting. After they explained it, of course, it made perfect sense because that helps see the loved ones who remain for the days, the weeks. And then very importantly, you know, right after a person passes, there's a lot to do. It gets very busy, it gets very loud. But then soon after those services and whatnot settle down, it gets very quiet. And that's why I realized our bereavement team is so important checking in on families and whatnot through the one year anniversary. And that's why that 13th month exists. Right. So I realized, wow, that is what a beautiful benefit and service. Yeah, I agree that that is, uh, is very strategic, that 13 month, but we need to understand that everybody grieves at their own pace, at their own level. Of course. And, and the needs are different. And in our, Trained bereavement counselors have a very specific process that they work through that is predicated on the relationship that they have with now the surviving family member that allows them to negotiate and navigate through these uh, very, very different waters. One of the things that I've always been impressed with was the reality that we as ordinary friends and family members can serve important roles to our bereaved family members and friends as well. I think that sometimes it starts even beforehand when someone is sick, they're in the hospital, they're at home, they're perhaps in hospice. And I have people say, well, gosh, I'd like to visit him, but I don't know what to do. I don't know Mm -hmm. what to say. Sure. And I always remind them, you don't really have to do or say anything. Just being present is, is powerful. And sometimes that's enough. Sometimes just being at the bedside, especially when people travel great distances. Does that not in and of itself say something that I live maybe two, three time zones away, but this is where I need to be. That's a pretty loud statement, don't you think? I think it is. And and I think in the same way, when we identify someone who is, uh, who is grieving, uh, I think that more than ever, we need to make intention on being present for them. There's always this flurry of activity. Someone dies and there's this outpouring of grief and sympathy mm-hmm. and there's cards that come. There's the Lots of food shows up. The, uh, right, the, um, the casseroles come and, and then a couple weeks, a month later, they're all gone. It gets real quiet. It gets very quiet. The meals are gone, the people are gone. Mm-hmm. They've gone on with their regular lives. And so I think that making an intention to connect with those that have lost someone dear to them And I think it starts with just, again, being present. Mm -hmm. I think that we sometimes focus on the provision. What is it that we can give? What can we bring? What can we do? But oftentimes it is the presence versus the provision that is so much more important. 
And we don't have to have a script. We can simply listen quietly. You can encourage them to just tell them how they're feeling and doing and Maybe they're not doing that well. And you have to be okay with just accepting that and not feeling that you have to fix that. Correct. As guys, we have to sort of really be attentive to that because you know there's a, there's a tendency that some guys just, and especially physicians, we're fix it kind of guys. And, and we think that that's really one of the, you know, one of our roles in life is to fix broken things. And so anybody visiting someone who is uh, bereaved, the expectation is not that you would somehow say something pithy or meaningful that's going to pull them out of their grief. That's not going to happen. But just the presence shows that, that you care. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is that sense of discomfort that probably has more of us err on the side of when not sure what to do, mm -hmm. we tend to do nothing which then adds to that silence. And again, I want to loop back to our bereavement specialist and how they effectively don't let that happen. Our teams have said, we value, we prioritize, we understand, like you said, right at the time, it's very busy, it's very loud. Anniversaries, things get remembered, but there's a lot of things in between and because it can get quiet and there can be gaps, why uh, we are so fortunate to work with good people uh, who remind us of the importance of that work and why I think we're trying to remind ourselves and our colleagues listening in. You're actually right, John. We see situations that are not perfect. It is our hearts in the right place want to make it better, if not perfect. And when we don't know what to do, that's just not a fun space to be in, is it? No, not at all. And therefore, sometimes, well, I'm just going to, in the fear of doing something wrong, I'll choose to do nothing at all, which could lead to some incredible loneliness. And we, we have the opportunity to do better than that. I think so. The great one, Wayne Gretzky, you say, you, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Amen to that. Yeah. And we learn from the shots that we take and miss. We could do a whole podcast on that, couldn't we? We do a blooper reel. We, 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 could, we, could do, we could come up with so many sports metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. And I'm, I'm so grateful again, you shared with me the story of this family and the fact that you're now caring for the wife directly herself. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And I think that again, that relates again to the importance of relationships. One of the things that we recognize in the work that we do, and that really I'm thinking back to when we first incorporated the Trillium Institute, our byline was live well, mm -hmm. die well, mm. grieve well. Grieve well, wow. And we recognized that everybody, everybody, obviously is going to die. Mm -hmm. The vast majority are going to know that it's coming. 90% of the people are going to get a diagnosis, a situation, a circumstance, something that is going to show up on their death certificate, which gives them an opportunity to plan and to anticipate for that, mm -hmm. which means that the people around them now have an opportunity to plan and anticipate for that certainty, mm -hmm. that reality. And so it's under the cloak of that expected terminal prognosis 
that that we can help them identify ways to live well how we're going to live in spite of having this diagnosis and we've talked about some of those stories in the past on previous podcasts how do you live well and how do we really optimize someone's comfort their ability to function well so they can continue to live well and at that moment when death comes how do we then help them negotiate that particular moment Mm -hmm. and again there's some planning that goes along with that i think some of the people listening may be aware that i have a a little avocation in music and have written some songs and one of the songs that i wrote when i was had my own health journey includes the line and at that moment when joy and sorrow meet joy wins Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen in a vacuum that doesn't happen without a team without people that are supporting the people that are encouraging people that are helping guide through these times, which can be certainly sad, sometimes traumatic. Mm -hmm. And yet I I firmly believe that if we execute our plan well, and if we bring our team into the lives of these folks, that we can in fact experience in the midst of profound sorrow, an element of joy as well. And that becomes even more challenging in the grief process. Absolutely. And so the bereavement counseling that we provide has to acknowledge and understand that sadness and that beyond that sadness, how do we help people find and discover that joy, which still lies within and beyond? Very well said. And I love that tagline one more time, live well, die well, grieve well. And again, when executed well, which is with intention. And again, we've had the pleasure of working on great teams to see this happen to that highest level and the joy that can come in the midst of a really sad experience. Yes. I think we're going to be always surrounded by loss, tragedy, emptiness, We as individual human beings are always going to be grieving something. We've talked today about the grief that emanates from losing someone who is close to us as someone who we love, but there are all sorts of losses in life. And I'm just kind of reflecting back to the original story that we started with. And part of that certainly is the loss of someone who is loved, but there's also that loss of identity. Sure. That loss of task orientation. And those require grief as well. And we need to be able to acknowledge and experience the depth of that loss if we're going to be moving toward true healing. A good friend of mine who taught me a lot about grief lost his daughter in an auto accident probably 25 years ago. And as you would expect, it's not something that you, and I'm putting in air quotes, get over. Life certainly goes on, but it's much, much different. Mm -hmm. And how you reconcile that loss and how you use that to better your own self, how you use that to encourage others and, and, and help others negotiate their grief as well, gives a different level of purpose and meaning in life so that that loss means something now the life meant everything in the world the loss took everything away 
but there are opportunities to continue to grow and to continue to heal. And I think that's the, the beauty that our grief counselors do bring to the table. And, and I think that more than the trained bereavement counselors, we all have a role with those that we love, that we care about, who are grieving. And it gets back to that very simple initial premise, just to be present and to listen. I think about the great role model that you are, John, and again, that you value and prioritize uh, these topics and how many of us are then the beneficiary and how much that means to our patients. Again, I just want to thank you for imparting that wisdom with us and uh, demonstrating why this has value. You know, we all stumble through life and I think that the older you are, then maybe you've left a few crumbs behind. A few crumbs. <laughs> so, I like that. And you found a couple of them anyway. Well, this has been a poignant and a, and a meaningful time and appreciate the comments and I appreciate the prompt. Well, thank you all for joining in with us on this podcast today. And we look forward to connecting with you on future podcasts. Have a wonderful day. Bye.